uh, about a young couple. The girl, they just gotten married, and, and, and the wife had decided to make her very first pot roast. It was their family recipe. Um, and he loved pot roast, so he was very excited. And so she's getting ready, and she's cutting the edges off of the pot roast. And he said, what are you doing? And she said, we cut the edges off the pot roast so it makes it better. He said, no, the edges of the pot roast are the very best part. You shouldn't be doing that. And she said, uh-uh, no, this is an old family recipe. My mom did it this way. My grandmother did it this way. So he, not being as, as probably as wise as he should have been, said, I'm going to get on the phone and talk to your mom. And he called her mom and said, why do you cut the edges off the pot roast? And she said, you know, I'm not sure. My mother always did that, and, and it made it taste better. And he said, well, then I'm calling. He, said, he calls, he says, Nana, why do you cut the edges off your pot roast? Does, to make it taste better? And she said, oh, no, it's because I had a small pan, and it didn't always fit, so I just would cut the edges off. And what happened? A tradition started, and they became convinced this makes it taste better. Well, we have traditions. We have communion. We have baptism. Those are traditions. Those are ordinances that Jesus Christ has commanded us to participate in. And the problem is they can lose their meaning over time. Or they can be something that we go, okay, we're supposed to do this. I don't get a ton out of it. It doesn't give me a special feeling. It doesn't make me walk away feeling you know, any different. You know, I, I'm not sure if I understand. So what's the point? So what's the point? So what does it mean to us today when we talk about the body of the Lord, the blood of the Lord, as symbolized by the juice and the cracker? Well, we have to go back to that first time. And so imagine Jesus. He's, he, now, he's been through three years of public ministry. He, he's surrounded at the table by his very closest friends, his disciples. He's poured his life into them. He's given everything he can to them. He's trained them. He's equipped them. He's poured his whole thoughts, his feelings, all of his teachings, and this is his last time with them. So what is he going to do? What would you do? Well, I think about that. You would want to communicate. Jesus wanted to communicate. You would want to give them something to remember you by. Jesus wanted to give them something to remember them by. Some special words, some things that would stand out and hold truth. And so now we're at that moment, reliving that time. He looked around at those that he poured his life into, that he loved very, very much, and he taught them something. And so we're going to look at what he's taught them and what he's teaching us. He said, this is my body, broken for you. He knew what was coming. That was more than just some sort of a line to set up some sort of a tradition. He knew his death was imminent. He said, this... This cup is the new covenant of my blood. This is that word, communion. It comes from the Greek word, koinonia. It's the idea of a participation, a sharing, a koinonia. It's the idea of people who have a common experience, and so they're related because of it. You know, a common experience can be a powerful thing for a lot of people. We all have things that we, have, we can have in common with people, and they, they, can, they can create bonds. They can create feelings. You know, I think about a common experience that's this maybe, you know, a little bit more on the lighter side, but you, say you're out to dinner, and somebody's having salad, and all of a sudden as you're talking, you notice this green thing right there in their tooth, right? What do you do? 
in a restaurant with a group of people, right? If it was you, you would want someone to tell you about it. But because it's that person, you're hoping someone there will tell them about it. But the longer you wait, have you ever noticed that? The longer everyone waits, like everybody at the whole table is going, oh boy, say something, say something, you know? But the longer you wait, the harder it is to say something. Because if you wait too long, the person's like, I ate my saddle like 20 minutes ago. Why did you wait 20 minutes to tell me it was there? And so... So you wait more, and then it's even harder, so you wait more. And so it's this thing. And now, right now, I look around, and some of you are going, ooh, that's such a tough situation. I hate that feeling. And some of you are going, ha, ha, man, I love to see people struggle like that. That's that mean streak. That's the mean streak I was talking about. Why? Why? Because it's a common experience. We all have been in that position. We've all had that feeling. And so it's a common, relatable experience between all of us. There's other common experiences. If you've, if you've been through a serious illness, maybe, maybe a cancer, there's a common bond. Loss of a loved one, there's a common bond. Different difficulties that happen in our lives, different joys that happen in our lives, there's common bonds. You, you meet somebody like that. Uh, I, um, I, I used to, for a while, and I was not good, so don't think this is... I, I used to race motocross. I raced motorcycles when I was a teenager, and, and I loved doing it. And, and, and a while back, I bumped into a guy who had raced in the area I raced in at about the same time I'd raced. And I was like, dude, that's so awesome. I, we, we might have raced against each other. And he said, oh, what class were you in? And I said, well, I was in the C class, and I moved up to the B class. And he goes, oh, I was in double A. Okay, let's find something else common, you know? But, but then we started talking about tracks, and we understood, we remembered the tracks, and we understood the difficulties of certain tracks, and we just, it just was natural. Why? Because we had a common bond. We had a common experience. It can be a negative experience, like a sickness, a death, a tragedy, or it can be a positive experience, something you've done positive, but it's a bond. And when you meet somebody that you have that common experience with, you immediately are able to communicate at a little bit of a deeper level. So today in communion, here, and all over the world, believers are taking communion together. It's a common experience. It's a common bond because we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. And it's been going on for 2,000 years. In 1 Corinthians 10, 16, he says, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Koinonia, participation. So, you see it on your sheet there. I have three things that we do when we take communion. This is what we should be doing anyway. The first thing is we examine Verse 28, a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. So there's an examination. What is that? That's an honest appraisal. That's a stopping and thinking. And this is something we're not so good at oftentimes. This is something that we can struggle with. I find for me a lot of times I don't know, I, I don't understand sometimes why I do what I do. And so I pray like David prays, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. 
See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. What is David saying? He's saying, God, I need help with this examination. I need you to help me because I can, I can deceive myself. I can convince myself. I can rationalize things away. I recognize my need to do this because I can become caught up in the trappings of being a pastor, caught up in the expectations of what people would expect from a pastor and maybe not be as honest in my walk for fear of what people, for fear of what you would think of me if you knew the truth. So I can get caught up in that and be deceitful. I can be a full-time pastor and a part-time follower of Christ. That's an easy thing to do. And honestly, for many of you, if you look within and you stop and think, you may be able to say something similar. You may be able to say, I'm a full-time business person and a part-time follower of Christ when I really think about it. I'm a full-time student and a part-time follower of Christ. I'm a full-time mom or a full-time dad, but I'm a part-time follower of Christ. What do you see when you look within? For some of you, maybe even this morning, as we discuss the seriousness of this, you're going to say, man, I've been messing up. And so today, communion has to be for you an act of repentance as you see the blood that was shed for you, the body that was broken to wash away your sin. For some of you right now, man, God is doing great things. My life is going great right now. This is awesome. Then this morning becomes an act of worship for the one who is working so mightily in your life. For some of you, you're hurting deeply right now. And you don't know what to do. And so this morning becomes this desperate time where you cling to God and pray and hope that he does something. This morning emphasizes to you that he's with you and he suffers with you and he weeps with you. And so we examine. The second thing is we remember there's a lot of remembering in the Bible. In the Old Testament, God would call his people to build altars out of stones so they, they would remember. He would instruct them to tie the law like a string on their finger, uh, um, um, bind it around their, their forehead, on, on their fingers, <clears throat> put it on their doorposts to remember, remember. And in the Bible, remembering is more than just recalling information, just thinking back, oh yeah, that happened. It's more than that. When you remember something, if you do it right... What was real once becomes real again. It becomes more present. And, and we're changed by it when we think about it. My wife and I, um, our anniversary is coming up, our 38th anniversary is coming up. And we're, so we were talking, we're kind of looking forward to our 40th anniversary. Um, when we got married, through kind of a happenstance of events, we were able to, to go on a really nice honeymoon. We went to Bermuda and we just had an incredible week there. Just like a blast. And so we're thinking on our 40th, maybe we'd try to go back to Bermuda, go back to where, and, and, and kind of relive some of those moments. And so <clears throat> I was looking up some stuff about that thing. And of course, you know me, I'm looking up stuff and I'm going, I wonder what flights cost two, two and a half years from now. Just stupid stuff. And, and I started thinking about, okay, what would we want to do? Well, what did we do then? And I was like, oh yeah, we did the, oh, the snorkeling was awesome. 
man, the sailing. We I took a sailboat out and sailed, sailed her around and <clears throat> impressed her with my sailing skills so much that we ran aground. Um, um, you know, we, 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 and, and each thing we did, I was like, oh, that was great. Oh, and what was I doing? I was remembering. I was reliving. I could feel it. I could feel the joy. I could feel the time, that time, the love. I could feel it. And I was remembering. And that's what God commands us to do. In the book of Exodus, <clears throat> after they've started to come free, be, they'd be free, he said, um, oops, I what When your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then you tell them when they talk about the Passover. When the children ask you, what does this mean? What, what, what is he saying? And you need to remember it. You need to remember it. When they cross the Jordan River into the promised land, uh, God told them to take 12 stones and to build a memorial. There's an interesting story when you read it because God stopped up the river <clears throat> so there was, they could walk across. And it's interesting because in the Hebrew, it, 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 it emphasizes they ran across as fast as they could. They were like, we don't know how long this is going to last. And it's like, oh, crap, pick up a stone. So they, you know, they pick up these stones. And so they made this memorial to remind them. And in Joshua 4.21, then he said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Then you tell them. You tell them, what is that? That's remembering. That's taking something and bringing it back. Reliving it. That's an important thing for us. And so in Luke twenty two nineteen, 19, then he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, this is my body given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. He's saying, I want you to remember. <clears throat> Do you ever think that's kind of interesting? that maybe Jesus was worried that the disciples would forget him? Do this in remembrance for me. I remember thinking about that and going, what, what in the world? Like, they spend three years of their lives, they see the most incredible things, and then they're just going to forget about him? But you know, that, that's exactly the problem, isn't it, for us? God works in our lives. He brings us to a certain place. He shows his grace. He shows his mercy. He shows his power. And then six months later, we're like, oh, God, where are you? Do you even exist? And we forget him. I forget him. I forget I'm forgiven and I'm burdened with guilt. I need to remember that. I forget I'm called to be a servant and I try to get my own way. I need to remember he's called me to be a servant. I forget I'm a, far, par, <laughs> a part of a family of brothers and sisters. I need to remember that. I forget Jesus all the time. So why do we do this? Because it takes us to the cross. It humbles us. And yet it lifts us up at the same time. As we remember. Um, reading Franz Kafka and one of the things um, he says is he says, I don't believe in sin or guilt or even God. But then he said something very interesting, and I love this because he's honest. He says, yet there is something wrong with us. And then he, gets, he says, there's something wrong with me. I don't believe in any of that stuff, but yet it's happening in my life. 
Because Jesus had to pay for that. He paid for that. So it lifts us up. I may feel worthless, but Jesus says you are worth dying for. The third point, we examine, we remember, then we proclaim. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. All right, this proclamation is kind of a twofold thing. It kind of flows out of what we've been talking about. But this declaration, this proclamation is an announcement. It's the idea that something uh, has to be... Uh, how did that, when kings oftentimes in those days and rulers would decide on a new law, what would they do? They'd send out heralds because most people couldn't read. So there's no sense tacking up announcements. They would send out heralds and the heralds would, you know, it's where we get the old hear ye, hear ye. They would go out and they would stop in town squares and they would make this loud announcement for everyone to hear. And they would make that announcement and they say, now go tell everyone you know. And then they move on to another place and they'd make a loud announcement. Now tell everyone. And it was this idea that you're, when you proclaim the Lord's death, you're announcing something to everyone in your life. You're proclaiming your life has been changed. You're proclaiming I'm different because of Jesus. You're declaring something. You're saying he died for me and I'm making public that this is who I am. This is the core of me. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, this is not a popular move now, and it was not a popular move back then, because there's often consequences. Because if I'm announcing this is who I am at my core, what do I do at work sometimes if someone does something that's un unethical? What do I do if I've harmed others and I need to make things right? What do I do if someone has harmed me? What do I do with the time God has given me? What do I do with the possessions God has given me? What do I do with the family God has given me? What do I do with the money God has given me? What do I do with the skills God has given me? What do I do with the abilities that God has given me? If at the core I'm a follower of Christ, now they belong to him and he can use them. What am I going to do with them? The other aspect of this is look forward to the day when he comes. He says you make this proclamation, the pro proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I'm proclaiming now, this is who I am. This is where I stand. <clears throat> These are my people. That boast we were talking about. You know? And then I'm saying, and I'm looking towards that day when he will come. And so this is a time where oftentimes this, what is good for us and is hard for us to do, I mentioned, is to sit and be silent for a little bit. I was reading a guy, he said, these times are our, for our own good, for our own development in the depths of our soul. We must enter these quiet spaces and linger there. Communion is that space for the Christian. It is that space to stop, to think, to reflect, to realign, to confess, and then to rejoice. And what this guy was talking about was how that is so hard for people nowadays. It's so hard for us to be silent, to be quiet, even for a short period of time. And so we can struggle. We struggle with coming into this uncomfortable space and thinking deeply to consider, to be thoughtful about our relationship with Jesus Christ, about what has been accomplished at the cross, about confession of sin, about realigning our lives and our hope in a new way, not towards a good marriage or obedient children or wealth or a promotion at work, but having our hope in Christ and Him alone. 
These are these times where we can see growth going into the deep places. And it can be difficult. When we are very serious, and when we spend time meditating and thinking, reflecting, examining, it can be hard for us. It's hard for me. My wife sometimes will say, let's sit down and talk for a while. And then we'll get onto something serious. And the first thing I'll do is make a joke to relieve the tension. I'm stupid that way. But luckily, she loves me, and she just goes, <laughs> okay, let's get back to it. You know, and we just move on. Because we need those times, even th when they're difficult. And so, this is the gift of communion. To feel the quiet, to consider the weight, to rest in the seriousness, and then to rejoice. Because this is great news for us, what Jesus Christ has done. But we need that depth. Because without that depth, when the day of trouble comes, when there's a season where it's our turn to suffer, to mourn, or to wrestle with doubt, we'll find that our foundation is weaker than we'd hoped for if we've not had those times. And that's not what the Lord has for you. And looking forward, he has a celebration, a union with him, and a foundation that's everlasting. You know, I was thinking about this this week. I was praying a little bit, and I was thinking about this communion, and I thought, what an incredible thing it is that on this day, all over the world, Christians, all types of people are celebrating the exact same thing with the exact elements, you know, just fruit of the vine and a bread. That's it. Nothing special. No other things, you know, no carrots, no turkey, no, it's not, it's just those two things. And all over the world, millions of people are doing the same thing we're going to do right now. That's an incredible thing. That's, that's an incredible relationship. And then I was thinking, not only that, but they've been doing it for 2,000 years. The same thing. Just what's about to happen. You talk about tradition. They're examining, they're remembering, and they're proclaiming. In an area called Cappadocia, in, it's in Turkey, Asia Minor, in those times, in the early church, when uh, Cappadocia was kind of like, um, if you're familiar with um, Westerns, the Badlands, um, um, the hole in the wall, there was a, which was a place where all outlaws could go and kind of be safe because nobody would dare go there. Cappadocia was this, this kind of a place. It was a forbidding land, and people would go there to disappear. Criminals would go there to disappear, and during persecutions, Christians would go there to disappear. And huge settlements, not just settlements, I mean cities, flourished in that area because it was so remote and such a forbidding area that it was, hard, it was hard to get a legion out there and feed them, that type of thing. And the, uh, the stone was the type of stone that it was easy to dig, uh, uh, a type of limestone. It was easy to dig. And so huge cities, some, some going down hundreds of feet into the ground, um, sprang up there. And, 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 and it would kind of, I don't even know how to say this, it was like it would breathe. There'd be a persecution and people would come in and live there for a few years and the persecution would ease and they'd all come out and it would be in and out. So sometimes these huge 
like a city. It would become almost deserted, and then it would be full. And interestingly, you can go, there's tours there now like crazy. There are lots of churches hewn out in the rock, deep underground. One is 200 feet down. You have to go past a few false entrances and to try to hedge you off because they were worried about the, the way it got air was a shaft that went up and it looked like it was a well. And they had people with water so that if it's being investigated by soldiers, they'd lower the bucket and these people would pour water in the bucket and then the bucket would go back up and there'd be water. And okay, it really is a well, but really it's a, it was an air shaft. And there it is. That's 200 feet down. They didn't have electricity um, back then, but they do now. You can tour these. 200 feet down. And they would gather there in fear of their lives and have communion, just like we're doing right now. The kinship that we have, the relationship, the shared relationship. Those were our brothers and sisters disappearing in the wilds to escape from being killed. And so they, what would they do? They would make places where they could worship God and have communion together. And so we are continuing a tradition that is a long and glorious tradition of worshiping Jesus Christ by doing exactly what he commanded us to do. We know from early church documents, some of the things they said, okay, I didn't, this is not my invention. You know, you're like, oh, Bob, you come up with such good out. Not this one. This outline's 2,000 years old. We have early church fathers that preached on examining and proclaiming and, and, and remembering because it's the same thing. We're doing the same thing, just like the church has done for 2,000 years. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the union we have in you. Thank you for so many of us that our identity, as much as we wrestle with it from time to time, our identity is in you. You've given us new abilities. You've given us new desires. You have given us the power to say no to sin. And you are conforming us into the likeness of your son. And so we thank you how you've blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And I pray that over the next few minutes that you would help us to remember the things we're prone to forget. You would help us to not remember them as intellectual facts, but that we'd recall and remember that you opened our eyes, you softened our hearts, you shifted our allegiance from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And so we look and we hope, we place our trust in the blood of the new covenant, and the Savior who has purchased this salvation. Father, like millions are doing right now and like millions have done throughout history, we come now in obedience to this time to worship you. We come, figuratively speaking, Lord, we kneel, we open our hands, we have nothing to bring, and we bow our neck. You are the King, and we worship you.